Today we're studying, trying to make Proverbs practical. Today the lesson title is Blessing and Chastening. And it's all about wisdom in Proverbs, you know that. It's all about wisdom, and we're following not verse by verse through a chapter and so on. Usually we're going through Proverbs from one end to the other to develop a topic that's spoken of many times in Proverbs. That seems to me to be more practical, to remember the thought, the main point of the many things it says about these different topics. Proverbs is God's word, but it's not, it's not a narrative, it's not anything but practical. It's how to live better. Someone said one time, if you want to be holy, read the Psalms. If you want to be wise, read the Proverbs, and I think that's about right. You might have noticed that there's the number of Proverbs equal just about to the number of days in each month of the year. That is a plan for reading through Proverbs. Pick a month when you haven't done something else at the beginning of a month and read the proverb for that day on the first read the first and so on but that will drag you through things that are too much for one day and from chapter 9 toward the end uh, to the end of the book each chapter of proverbs has too many different topics in it if you want to read it through and give it the thought and processing necessary to get what you should get out of god's word you can't read a whole chapter in Proverbs in a day. So I'd like you to keep that in mind, and we'll have a good time today in God's Word. <coughs> Excuse me. I'd like you to pray with me, and then we'll start not in Proverbs, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. If you're using a Schofield Bible, that's on page 1212. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, as we open your Word this morning, we ask you to help us to understand the most important thing and then to understand the many important things that you present through your, your writers in the book, the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the most important thing Paul spells out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he has just been saying some things about why he was sent. Christ sent me not to baptize. I don't want to be distracted by less important things, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now I want to say, he's not downing baptism. But in Corinth, he's correcting errors. There were people that were bragging on, Dr. Hank Lindstrom baptized me. And then somebody else comes and says, I was baptized by Dr. Ralph Yankee Arnold. And then somebody else will say, Ha, huh, I was baptized by Ray Stanford. Or, you know, and I was baptized by Billy Sunday. They're old. <laughs> but they faced that kind of thing in Corinth. Paul had heard that one of them would say, I'm from Paul. Paul, I am from Apollos. Well, Peter baptized me. Well, the other one says, yeah, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I think he played the, the big card in that hand. So Paul is not disparaging baptism. He did baptize, and he knew the Great Commission included believe and then serve the Lord by starting with baptism. But he said, I'm supposed to preach the gospel. You remember his commission. It was not Mark 16, 15, or, first, or Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Paul's commission was there on the road to Damascus. And the third time he tells that story in Acts chapter 26, he says, Jesus Christ himself said, I'm going to 
send you far hence to the Gentiles. And he heard that. Paul, what would Paul, a Pharisee, have thought about being sent to the Gentiles, Jay? Would he be real excited and happy? <laughs> Not so very much, right? Yeah. But he did what he was told. Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The preaching of the cross, I think he's calling that the gospel, don't you? The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Somebody criticizes our message by calling it easy believism, don't you know that? But have you ever really thought through the details of what we ask people to believe when they hear it, the gospel from our mouth? We're asking them to believe in a, the work that a man did 2,000 years ago-ish, that he came and he allowed the government and the religious establishment to kill him. We're asking him, them to believe that he got up after he was dead and then went back to heaven, and there he still is alive today for us. None of that is in our experience. Um, we're asking them to believe that in spite of what mom and dad and grandma and grandpa taught them, perhaps, being good is not how you get right with God. We're asking them to believe that you can't rely on what you do to establish how you stand before God, but you have to rely on his gift of righteousness, his gift of salvation, his gift of eternal life that he gives, he did pay that we asked them to believe he, as a substitute, paid the penalty for sin. And we asked them to believe that he gives the gift of his perfect righteousness to everyone that believes. Now, which part of that is easy? <laughs> that's a, the preaching, that's the justification, I think, for saying the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Somebody hears that and they choose to reject it, you can see why they'd say that's just foolishness. That doesn't, Proverbs says this, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. This isn't it, <laughs> the preaching of the cross. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. When I went through that list of foolish things I just went through, if you're saved, if you're a believer, didn't it ring in your heart? They say, that's right. That, that is, I, that's right. That's right. Because God, the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, confirms that as we believe and are saved. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. And then he quotes the Old Testament to these Gentile Corinthians mostly. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. I don't think he's going to use Proverbs to share the gospel. <laughs> wisdom isn't it. Practical wisdom is not it. He says in verse 20, where's the wise, church? Where's the scribe? Where's the, the one that can stand up and debate? They're not in our church. God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. For after that, in the wisdom of the world, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The Jews, the Jews require a sign. Give us a sign, Jesus. Give us a sign. He said, No sign going to be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonas. 
Whereas Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That sign, yeah, I'm going to die and get up after three days. The Jews require a sign. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be Moses. I'm not going to be Elijah and do miracles. He did many miracles, but he said, I'm not going to give you objectors, you enemies, you people who are not believing already for what I've already done and said. I'm not going to give you one more sign except the resurrection. The Greeks, the Greeks seek after wisdom. There was Socrates, and there was Plato, and there was Aristotle, and there were the many Greek philosophers, the founders of the Stoics were popular then, and the, the others, the, uh, I can't say the word right now, but Greek philosophy was across the Mediterranean world. They were known, to, Athens was the center of culture and philosophy and wisdom. But we're not doing that, Paul says. We preach Christ crucified. That's the message. He died for sin. And then he got up. I hope you don't mind me saying it that way. But he rose from the dead. He got up. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away so people could see he was gone. And then he appeared to the women. And then he appeared to the disciples. And Thomas wasn't there. And then he appeared to them again when Thomas was there. And he said, Thomas, did you say this was foolishness? Come here. Put your finger in my hands. Put your hand in my side. There's a big hole there. And be not unbelieving. Be believer. All those 11 who remained after Judas, all of them went into all the world and preached the gospel. That doubting Thomas we make fun of by calling him doubting Thomas went to India and died at the swords of the people in the southernmost parts of India, but there are Toma churches in that part of India now, still 2,000 years later, almost 2,000 years later. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. Messiah is going to come and be a great war leader and throw out the Romans and throw out the... Hmm. To the Greeks, it's just foolishness. That's not what we believe. We just think things through. Wisdom. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The cross, this foolishness of preaching the cross, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The foolishness of God, so-called, is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. One of the founding fathers at the 1776 convention that was drafting the Declaration of Independence and declaring independence from Great Britain, one of those men stood up and said, a second, let me get it right. Oh, I've forgotten the half of the illustration. Oh, the, the reformers, <laughs> that's who it was. The reformers of the 16th century had opposed against them the government and the Holy Roman Empire and the whole body of the church from the Pope on down. And all they had on their side was Almighty God. 
And that's what he said when he was expressing to his delegates that they're facing the might of Great Britain, the mightiest power in the world at the time. And well, we're kind of like them. All we have on our side is the power of God. The, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Well, we've gone past what I wanted to do in this little introduction, but I wanted you to understand, why do I call this the most important thing? If there happens to be somebody listening to this message that is not saved, according to the Bible, they can't understand the wisdom of the Word of God in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians that says that. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. I wanted to go over the power of the cross, the foolishness of preaching, that all you can do is believe to be saved. If you're listening to this and you don't know what that means, think about those things that we ask you to believe. Christ died for our sins. We use this illustration. Here we are, this says sin on it, it's a representation. We all have sin on us. Nobody's as good as God is. Some people are better than others. Most of you are better than me. I don't want to tell you about that, but that's the truth. <coughs> Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If this hand could represent God himself, it says, He made him who knew no sin, the only man that didn't inherit Adam's sin, and he never did any sin of his own. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. When he went to the cross, he died physically, but he died under the penalty of not just of Pilate, but of all the sin of all mankind, taking God's judgment for sin on himself. He was buried and rose again, and the rest of the verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He gives the gift of his righteousness, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, to everyone who believes in him. When he met that Samaritan woman at the well, he said, give me a drink. She said, you don't do that. I don't, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. We don't talk to each other. And he said, I really want a drink. No, that's not what he said. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who I am, who it is that speaks unto you, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. So believe in Jesus. He's already paid the penalty for your sin. All you can do to get into the group that are covered with his perfect righteousness is believe in him. Believe he did that for you. And then his promise is eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now we'll go over to Proverbs. We're going to talk today about blessing and chastening in a bit, but right now, blessing from God. And in these three verses in chapter 3, I just want to read these to you. If you've gotten my notes, that's a good thing. They're, they're already organized for you, but they're on the screen here. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesses the habitation of the just. Just as a reminder, I'll point out, when you see in the King James Old Testament, L-O-R-D, printed in all capital letters, that's a reference, that's a translation of the personal name of God. 
the Jews held that name in such high esteem, they wouldn't pronounce it except the, uh, the high priest on the Day of Atonement when he went in to sprinkle the blood in the Holy of Holies. And so its pronunciation is not really correctly known, and we try not to pronounce it too much. Some people like to say it more than us. The word Lord was substituted as a respectful workaround. The Jews, when they came to this name in their book, the Old Testament we call it, would read the other title of God, Adonai. And Jay's here to correct my pronunciation anytime he wants to. <laughs> but they would read Adonai, which is the word that's translated Lord without all caps. If you took the vowels from Adonai and put them into the consonants of the name, you would have something like Yahweh or Jehovah or Yehovah. <laughs> Jehovah, some say. Yahweh. But we'll just read Lord, but I want to remind you, this is the name of the self-existent one. His name means, as he told Moses on the mountain, I am. And this is what you tell the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. You may recall how many times in John's gospel Jesus took the name to himself. He said, before Abraham was, I am over and over again. It's not just a helping verb in English. He's emphatically using the Greek verb, I am, with the unnecessary first-person singular pronoun, I. You don't have to say, I run, I jump, I am the good. But Jesus said it this way when he said, I am. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, I I am the good shepherd, <laughs> whatever it was he was talking about. He, the Lord, blesses the habitation of the just. He scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace to the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory. There are blessings from God. The other side of it is there as well, but the blessings are from God. We're going to look at chapter verse. Chapter 10, if my finger will work, and verse 22. Chapter 10 and verse 22. The blessing of the Lord. It maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Isn't that nice? You got something going on in your life, and you, I, you think it's from God, but... but it's got a downside to it as well. This says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. There's no sorrow with it. In the same chapter in verse 28, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness. God blesses those that respond to him. In chapter 14, in verse 21, I'm just skipping through. You can keep up or not, but just watch it on the screen. The second part of the verse says, He that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. In chapter 16 and verse 17, this is about the blessing of God. Chapter 16, verse 17. The second part of it, He that keepeth his way, preserveth his soul. God's watching over you if you're careful. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. Mind where you're going. Don't go that way if it's a bad way. He that keepeth his way preserves his soul. 
In chapter 16, in just three verses further, it says, he that handleth a matter wisely shall find good. There's a blessing from being wise. Whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Isn't that nice? There's, happy is the same as blessing, I think. In chapter 18, in verse 22, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. And men, if you didn't say amen just then, you're in trouble. <laughs> Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Now there's other verses in the Bible that say getting the wrong wife is a bad thing, but the Lord blesses a good man and his wife together. In chapter 22, verse 9, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. You want to be blessed? Give. Bless. Give bread to the poor. I know that we are occasionally encountering people on the side of the road at intersections that have signs that say, anything will help. And while well, I lived in Tallahassee with one fellow that had a little sign like that, he says, why lie? I just want a beer. And that sadly is the case of many of those folks. They make good money doing that panhandling. Most of them are using the money for less than honorable things. And I I will give them a Burger King or a McDonald's coupon, but I won't give them something that they can get a beer with, unless it's Warren. But No, <laughs> Warren doesn't want a beer. It's all right. In chapter 28, we're nearly done with this section about the blessing from God. In chapter 28, in verse 20, come to a faithful man, shall abound with blessings. But he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Let me ask a question. When you, if you, I hope you don't, but if you, when you buy a lottery ticket or a scratch-off ticket or one of those gambling devices that are around us, when you go out to the hard rock, is your point just to have a pleasant evening and listen to the music, or are you making haste to be rich? You're trying to be rich. It's not likely that it'll work, but the people on the commercials, they all made a bunch, right? The people in the advertising, every one of them won. <laughs> anyway, God's not really fond of he that maketh haste to be rich. We'll talk about that another time. Besides blessing from God, there are some verses that very specifically say there are blessings from other people. In the last chapter of Proverbs, talking about this wonderful, virtuous woman, we usually refer to her that way, about her, it is said in verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. If you happen to hear your kids saying how great mom is, men, you better get up there and join in the chorus. It's a good thing. And here's what they say, and what the husband should say. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. You should never be comparing your partner, your spouse, with others who do better than she does. Just, that's not right. 
Verse 30 says, favor is deceitful. Good looks, that's deceitful. Beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. Give her what she deserves. Give her more than what she deserves. Let her own works praise her. It says in the gates. Now, we don't get that picture because we don't have gates like this anymore, but the, the city gates in those little towns that can the, the land the city gates were where everybody met together, where the judges sat and gave judgments and men did business and the women. And, and it was just, that's like Times Square in New York City. That's where everybody came to see what was up. Let her works praise her in the gates. Besides the virtuous woman, in chapter 10 again in verse 7, the memory of the just is blessed. I am a fond, I'm fond a little bit of the Dickens tale, The Christmas Carol. And as the ghost of Christmas yet to come unwillingly dra drags Scrooge unwillingly to the cemetery, he's afraid to look at the tombstone that has his name on it. And he's just been going past people in the streets that have been mocking the memory of the man who had died and saying nobody was going to miss him. But the memory of the just is blessed. The name of the wicked shall rot. Well, that's not very good. Try to avoid that. Chapter 11, verse 11. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. I think this is talking about I would say politics or leadership, a city with upright government is a great place to be. It's exalted by the blessing of the upright. You have upright people there, they'll get blessed by God and the city will be exalted because they're there. Now we, I'm afraid, are in a different kind of a milieu where as far as politics are concerned. Dr. Burble Boudram came here in our missions conference one time and he mentioned the word politics and he said poly means many and tick is a blood-sucking insect and I thought that's, that's sadly much too much to the point these days. So. Proverbs eleven twenty six: He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. Blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. If there's hungry people around and you got the food, well, I'm going to get the price up a bit higher before I let them buy that. <laughs> people will curse him. He that withholdeth corn, the people will curse him. Blessing will be upon the hand of him that makes it available, that sells it. Now my notes, now we move on to the next small topic, chastening, the other side, if you will, of the coin of blessing. When you're God's children, if you have believed in Jesus, in this lifetime, you'll have from him blessing and you'll have chastening. In eternity, we look forward to rewards and some to not having as many rewards. The rewards will be tested. The works of your life will be tested in an illustration called fire. <laughs> And if they're of good quality, they'll stand the fire and they'll shine clear and pure. 
and you'll have rewards. But in the same illustration, the works that are like wood or hay or stubble, they'll be burned up. And you'll still be saved, but it says you'll suffer loss. You won't have the rewards that you might have had. In heaven, there's rewards, or in eternity, there's rewards, and there's lack of rewards for some. But here in this lifetime, once you've believed, if you do what God wants you to do, he can bless you. We just read about that. And if you don't, he'll give you his attention in another way. And just go back to chapter 3 just for a moment. Where we started. Chapter 3, verse 11 the father is speaking to the son. Now, generally, we can say most of these Proverbs written by Solomon. He had a bunch of wives and a bunch of sons, but the next king was Rehoboam. This might be Solomon to Rehoboam, or Solomon to all of his sons. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Oh, that's a word we don't use so much. It means spanking. It means being whipped. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as his father, the son in whom he delighteth. I raised three children. Once in a while I had to correct them. I remember specifically one incident where my son needed correction because I had caught him trying to do something surreptitiously that he shouldn't have been doing. And I remember saying to him, John, you need to be glad that Daddy caught you. And he said, why? I said, because God spanks harder than Daddy does. And you may not seem like it in the present, but that's the truth. The more that we can keep our children close to God, the less God will have to do it himself. Of course, this same passage, Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, is made a part of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And we'll look there for a moment. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, it says in verse, we'll just start at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. Looking back at chapter 11, where all the great heroes of the Old Testament, the heroes of faith, and realizing they're watching us from the other side of the grave. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Abraham and Moses and Abel and, and all, all the men and ladies of faith of the Old Testament. We're compassed about, we're surrounded by them, let us who are still in this world, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says, now stop and think. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Don't get tired and quit the race. Saturday, yesterday, um, Mrs. Pasternak ran a 5K race, did real well. She didn't quit after 3K. 
Don't quit. You have your race to run, the race that is set before us. Let each one of us run with patience the race that is set before us. Don't quit. And then it says, think about him, lest you be wearied and faint. You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. You're being a little lazy here. And verse 5, he says, you have forgotten, Proverbs chapter 3, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, he goes on and expands on it. God deals with you as with sons. What son is he whom the father chasteneth not? If you're without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're illegitimate. You're not sons. And I don't think he means for them to question their salvation, but it would be unusual for somebody to just keep on getting away with bad living. We've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Amen. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, verily for a few days, spanked us, chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, God's always doing what we need, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no spanking, (laughs) for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous except in the play My Fair Lady. I never hear anybody saying, would you please kick me again? I just don't think that's in there anywhere in normal living. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. We need this exercise. (coughs) Chastening is a part of how God deals with his believers. And we'll go back, we'll go back to uh, Proverbs and see what is next. In chapter 17 of Proverbs, about chastening, verse 3 says, The fining pot is for silver, and the furnace for gold. Now what are those? Those are places where a lot of heat is applied to metal to get the dross, the impurities, out of it so that the pure metal is re- remaining. Silver has got a refining pot. Gold takes a furnace. And the Lord tries the heart. It could be kind of hot and uncomfortable if that's what the Lord is doing in your life. But it's to get rid of the dross. In verse 10 of the same chapter, a reproof enters more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. And we don't want to think about one stripe, let alone a hundred stripes. But this says you can take a fool and beat him a hundred times, and he'll still be a fool. But you can say to a wise man, you know, you might be able to get better results this way, and they'll get it. They'll get it. Chapter 19, about chastening, verse 18 Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. There's instructions again to the father for his children. Proverbs 19, 18. Proverbs 20, verse 30. 
makes me dizzy to watch these go by so fast. <laughs> the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. So do stripes, the inward parts of the belly. I'm not real clear on the illustration, but thinking it's saying this will help you get away from evil if you have to be beaten. That might be the way God is dealing with you. Chapter 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Well, not my kids. My kids are perfect. I don't know what that teacher meant when she said little Johnny did bad. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, I know in our day we have heard of many instances of abuse of corporal punishment, and we shy away from that now. I read a thing the other day that in answer to the question, should you put your hands on another person's child? And the answer was for safety, yes, not for punishment, not for discipline. A lady was talking about standing in a shopping situation and a little child, two, three-year-old child, stood up in the step, the seat of the back of somebody else's shopping cart and was standing there on the seat. And she grabbed him and set them down on the floor. And the mother turned around and saw her grabbing that child and was not happy. But life goes on, and anybody in that situation would have probably done the same thing. You've got to keep a kid from landing on their head. So God's word is pretty plain. There is a need not just for talking to children, but for um, corporal punishment for children. Verse 15 of chapter 29. The rod and reproof give wisdom. A child left to himself bringing his, bringeth his mother to shame. And two verses later, correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. I didn't do everything right with my kids. There was a time when my son, as an adult, was very unhappy with me for a long time because of what he remembered from when he was a kid. But he's doing better now, and he's no longer angry at me all the time like he was for a while. We have, have good, good conversations, good fellowship. So correct your son. He'll give you rest. Somebody said, you know, they, they're the ones that pick your nursing home. So you've got to be nice to him sometime. I, I'm working on getting myself qualified for the bumper sticker that says, I'm spending my children's inheritance. And, and work on that. The last half of this section of notes will be finished. Maybe more of it will be finished than not. We may just re leave the rest of it. The next section I call Reaping After Sowing Evil. And as it turns out, it's a long section. We'll start with just a little look at something I think we covered in the first, uh, the first lesson on Proverbs. I think we did read this before. And it's wisdom calling in chapter 1 and verse 24. And part of what wisdom says in chapter 1, verse 34 is this. Chapter 1, verse 24 to 32, excuse me, 24. I have called, wisdom said, and you have refused. I stretched out my hand, no one regarded. You have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. 
I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they deprived, despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. The turning away of the simple shall slay them. The prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Now that's the end of the passage about reaping after sowing evil. But I love verse 33, the end of the chapter. It's not in the topic, but it's just a wonderful contrast. Whoso, wisdom says, whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. How much better is that than to have wisdom and God that wisdom represents mock and laugh at you when you're in trouble. Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. That's the kind of blessing you can have by seeking and paying attention to wisdom. Wisdom from God's word, but it's only there and it's all there for those that are in the family of God. All of this is from the Father to the Son. And you can't be in the family of God without being born into his family. In John chapter 1, it says this about Jesus, the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us, and what he was. In verse 9 it says, This was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him. The world of people, though the world knew him not. He came to his own, that's his neuter, it's his creation, his own things. But his own, and that's masculine, his own people received him not. And then there's this wonderful word, so glad it's here, but the, the sad truth for overall is his own received him not, but Jay, but Bob, but Saul, the persecutor, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. You want to know how to receive Jesus? Believe in his name, that great I am. As many as received him. And these guys that receive him, that believe in his name, are born. They're born again, not of blood, not from mom and dad, not of the will of the flesh, not because they were excited and had a child, not of the will of man, but of God, because they heard the foolishness of preaching, and they didn't hear it as foolishness, but then they understood the gospel story, the preaching of the cross, and believed. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. They're born into the family of God, and so the words of wisdom from the Father to the Son, the words of blessing and 
being at peace from the fear of evil, belong to these children of the Father as we are who are believers in his Son, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'll help people to be blessed by your word and learn practical things in these lessons and get me out of the way and help me to be organized and speak truly. And for anyone who might be listening who has not yet realized Christ died for my sins, let them, even in these moments, believe in Jesus, receive him, believe in his name, and discover that they're born into the family of God and have the promise of eternal life. Now take care, take charge of the service to follow with everything that's going to distract people be removed and everything that will help them focus on your preaching and your word be amplified and, and made clear. In Jesus' name, 